welcome to Role Playing History, the podcast where we explore the history of role playing games. I'm Wayne Davis, and I'll be your guide for today's tour. Episode 119 Dungeons and Dragons 5th Edition, and a bit beyond. Okay, so let me get this out there up top. I know very well that there are a number of you out there that couldn't care less about either Wizards of the Coast or 5th Edition D&D at this point. And there have been several very public reasons why. And look, I totally get it. Believe me, I do. But I've said from the beginning that this is a podcast about the history of role-playing games. Hell, I say it at the start of every show. And as of today, that's 119 times, plus for various YouTube videos and shit like that. So if we're going to be in fact what we claim to be in name, we have to tell all of the history And since we've covered everything through 4th edition to this point, we need to cover 5th edition. And I also know that a whole bunch of you just said, don't care about the BS, just love the game, do what you do. I appreciate that. Just wanted to take a minute to lay out both sides of the argument. So with that, let's just get the tour bus cranked up and get to the topic, shall we? Let's take a trip back to 2012. In January of that year, Wizards of the Coast announced that they were in the midst of developing a new version of the game. Now, at that time, 4th edition was only four years old, so there was a lot of noise at the time about Hasbro, who, as we've discussed more than once, is the parent company of Wizards of the Coast, just flooding the market with new editions of the game and tons of books to do everything they could to increase the potential profits. However, I offer another theory on this. And I talked about this back when we covered 4th edition D&D, which is available in the archives if you want to check me on this. 4th edition D&D really seemed to split the D&D community in a way that seemed, to me anyway, a bigger deal than the shift to the D20 system when 3rd edition was released about a dozen years earlier. The changes applied to 4th edition led many gamers to use terms like munchkin-friendly and video game tactics when they described the game, and I remember at the time a whole lot of gamers swearing they would never play 4th edition. Yeah, I know. I know, same thing was said when 3rd edition came out. I know, (laughs) I know. In this case, I actually tried running 4th edition, and while there were some things I liked about it, I hated the fact that it wasn't as simple to teach new gamers as 3rd edition had been. So, I can see and I understand some of those criticisms. Nonetheless, Wizards of the Coast made the announcement, but noted that the gamers themselves would have input into that new game, which had the working title D&D Next. Gamer input would be made through a very open public playtest, with the info available through the official D&D website. By the time the 2012 Dungeons & Dragons experience rolled around, the developers had a very primitive version of the new system together, and they showed it off to about 500 fans, announcing that the playtest would begin on May 24th of 2012. Public playtesting ran for over a year, with the final packet for the test releasing on September 20th, 2013. Now, unlike 4th edition, Wizards decided to give the gaming public as many early tastes of the new game as possible before asking them to buy three brand new books. And by three books, I mean the Player's Handbook, Dungeon Master's Guide, and Monster Manual, since they're the core books you need to run any edition of the game. Now, the first shot was called the Basic Rules, which was a free PDF that included just enough information to start running a game under 5th edition rules, 
and it dropped on June 3rd, 2014. The next shot was the starter set, which had a 32-page rulebook for characters level 1 through 5, a 64-page adventure, Lost Minds of Fandelver, five pre-generated characters, and some dice. Now, the starter set sold very well, which was encouraging both to Wizards of the Coast and those fans sitting on the sideline waiting to see what the new edition would look like. By the way, the starter set won the Best Supplement Award in the 2014 Golden Geek Awards and the 2015 Gold Any for Best Production Values and Best Family Game. This all led to the release of the core rulebooks, with the Player's Handbook coming out first. Credited to the Wizards RPG team, it sports cover art from Tyler Jacobson, and it came out on August 19th, 2014. Clocking in at 320 pages, it expanded on all the materials that had been presented to that point, giving players all the materials they'd need to build their characters and run them under the 5th edition rules. This new edition of the game returned to its 3rd edition roots, though it kept some of the 4th edition changes. Those, though, were kind of adjusted to fit the new format. Tell you what, let's nuts and bolts this a little bit more for those of you keeping score at home. The first thing we need to note is that 5th edition was way more streamlined than 4th edition had been, and many would argue it was even more so than 3rd edition. I'm one of those. That being said, it still looked a lot like 3rd edition, just with some tweaks. One of the major changes was that things like weapons, skills, saving throws, and other items and categories that characters would be trained in use a single proficiency bonus, which definitely simplified things from 3rd and 4th edition. The multiple defense value, which had been really used in 4th edition, though pieces of it go back to 3rd edition, that was eliminated, and defense returned to the old standard of armor class plus dexterity. Saving throws were tweaked a bit, and they were tied back into the core abilities for the character. A big change from the prior two editions was that feats became an optional feature. Two options are now available, and that's feats or ability score increases. For those familiar with 3rd edition, ability score increases could only typically be taken by taking feats that would allow it, so giving that option freely was definitely a game changer. The concept of advantage and disadvantage makes its debut in 5th edition, and it's a pretty simple idea. If the situation is one where the character is at some sort of an advantage, they get to roll 2d20 when they make their roll and keep the better of the two, thus increasing the odds of their success. Disadvantage, as you'd expect, works in the opposite. Roll 2d20 and keep the lower of the numbers, thereby making it more difficult to succeed at the task because of whatever situation would cause a disadvantage. It was a new idea for D&D in print form, but I can remember seeing various homebrewed rules about it over the past several years. Class features got beefed back up in 5th edition, replacing the power system that had been introduced in 4th edition and seemed to have been one of the changes that sparked the most outrage among players of that edition. Gone were the multiple cards that allowed characters to make power attacks of differing types X number of times a day, and the features that made fighters fighters in past editions came back. I mean, they also made clerics clerics and so on, but let's face it, fighters seem to get all the love. 
The Player's Handbook picked up a decent haul of hardware, by the way. The 2015 Origins Award for Best Role-Playing Game, the 2015 Origins Award for Fan Favorite Role-Playing Game, three Gold Ennies in 2015, Best Game, Best Rules, and Product of the Year, and one Silver Ennie for Best Writing, given to the team of Jeremy Crawford, James Wyatt, Robert J. Schwalb, and Bruce R. Cordell. I love my reviews, so let's drop one in right here. Andrew Zimmerman Jones from Blackgate had this to say, quote, Their rules light approach makes it a natural system for old fans to bring new players into the hobby, but even with this initial offering, there are enough customization options to keep old school gamers happy playing with it, end quote. The Monster Manual was released next. Credit goes to Jeremy Crawford and Mike Merles, though both have acknowledged over the years that input came from the entire design team. It was released on September 30th, 2014. There's not a whole lot to really deep dive here. The Monster Manual, as all that came before, detailed the monsters for this new edition of the rules, providing their stats updated and revised for the changes in the system. It won the 2015 Origins Award for Best Role-Playing Supplement and Fan Favorite Role-Playing Supplement, as well as two 2015 Gold Ennies, Best Monster Adversary, and Best Interior Art. Scott Taylor handled the review for Blackgate and said, quote, In all, this is a very sharp book in the gaming Big Three, and anyone looking to take on the challenge of 5e will be happy with what they've invested in. End quote. Of course, you can't have a monster's manual without the Dungeon Master's Guide. Well, if you've been running D&D long enough, you probably can, but I digress. The 5th edition version of the DMG, credited to Mike Merles, Jeremy Crawford, Christopher Perkins, and James Wyatt, was released on December 9th, 2014. Clocking in at 320 pages, this version of the DMG is, as many writers have noted online, the deep dive book for those what-ifs you might want to add to a game. Rather than rehash things covered in the player's handbook, the DMG breaks some different ground, covering how technology might work in the system, as well as detailing how a DM might build out a dungeon or an adventure. In other words, if you've never run a D&D game before, you definitely need this. If you have, it's still a good read. Three awards for this book, the 2015 Gold Any for Best Supplement, and the 2015 Origins Award for Best Role-Playing Game Supplement and Fan Favorite. Did somebody say review? Henry Glassheen reviewed it for Slug Magazine and said, quote, Fifth edition, to my eyes, is the new gold standard for D20-based tabletop role-playing games. It strips away the tedium of systems and statistics and replaces them with true substance of role-playing, deep, immersive stories, end quote. I have to admit there's a lot more to that quote, but I think we kind of got the point. Now, you'll note that the three core rulebooks dropped months apart from each other, which strayed away from the usual release for a new edition of having all three books drop either on the same day or within weeks of each other. Jeremy Crawford had a reason for that, saying, quote, Our small team couldn't finish the books at the same time and also ensure their high quality. We could either stagger their releases or we could sit on the books until all three were finished, end quote. Over the lifetime of 5th edition, there have been four supplemental rules books released, and we'll cover three of those momentarily. The rest of the supplements released are either setting-specific books, such as Forgotten Realms, the Spelljammer box set, or the upcoming Planescape box, or their adventures, and there are so many of those at this point that getting into detail on those would be an entire show of its own. 
which I think we'll need to do at some time, but not this week. Before we get into the three supplements I wanted to hit, I should note here that on August 17th, 2017, 5th edition got its very own digital tool set, which we all know is D&D Beyond. Now, I covered that on an episode last year, but for those who are just getting into the show, let's take a moment to hit the basics. D&D Beyond came from the idea for an online tool set and online game-playing aid that Wizards of the Coast had had for 4th edition. However, the technology wasn't advanced enough at that time to be able to make the dream a reality. By 2017, however, it was, and D&D Beyond launched and helped to change the landscape for gaming moving forward. You think I'm kidding? How many digital tabletop role-playing game platforms are out there? Drop Roll20 into a Google search and see how many other programs just like it pop up. D&D Beyond was an opportunity for D&D to go as paperless as possible, since any 5th edition title released for the game would also be available in a digital form, and characters could be created there as well. Now, there is the little matter of actually having to pay for nearly all of the digital content, and for a while there was a tug of war over that, since some folks got pissed about having to pay for the same material twice in order to have it in both physical and digital form. But... Since Wizards of the Coast bought the entire D&D Beyond system from the company they'd once licensed it to, they've implemented deals on the site itself to get both at a slightly increased price, which really would have saved my ass a couple hundred dollars ago. I'm just saying. D&D Beyond continues to be a popular product, and while subscriptions did see a big dip after the whole open game license situation earlier this year, they finally leveled off and, as of this recording, have been experiencing a slow increase. Okay, so I said I'd cover three of the supplements for 5th edition, so let's get cracking on that. Xanathar's Guide to Everything was released on November 15th, 2017. Credited to Jeremy Crawford, Mike Merles, Robert J. Schwalb, Adam Lee, Christopher Perkins, and Matt Cernet, the guide was created to offer new options for characters and for DMs. Clocking in at 192 pages, this book is full of good stuff, and I'll say that even if you never use any of it, you have to appreciate what these guys came up with. 31 new subclasses were designed for this book, and they were parceled out to include two or three for each of the 12 character classes from the PHB. New racial feats and character backgrounds were also provided, which again provided players with more than enough options to make their characters as unique as they wanted them to be. DMs were provided with new ideas for downtime activities for their groups, as well as new traps and magic items to drop into their games. New spells were presented as well, and again, this allowed for the various spellcasters to pick spells that would differentiate them from the other spellcasters in their party. A lot of the new material provided in the guide came through the unearthed arcana playtests Wizards of the Coast had been running since shortly after the launch of 5e, and a couple of the new subclasses had even appeared in the previously released Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, which is the supplement devoted to the Forgotten Realms. Response to the guide was excellent, and it continues to be a good seller for the 5th edition. It picked up a 2017 Origins Award for Best Role-Playing Game Supplement and Fan Favorite Role-Playing Game Supplement Award. Rob Wyland handled the review for Geek & Sundry, noting, quote, 
Backgrounds in 5th edition offer a good place to start talking about the history of characters, but coming up with a full background for a character can be a little intimidating for someone that's never done it before. Xanathar's Guide has a few class-specific elements that can help, like tables for a bard's worst performance, or the vice a rogue likes to indulge in between adventures. It also has a big section full of tables that determine important character details like siblings, upbringing, and other points that can help sketch a character backstory during play. Now, I mentioned the Unearthed Arcana playtesting a moment ago, and it's become one of the major tools Wizards of the Coast has used through the life of 5th edition to test the popularity and playability of new concepts and rules. And as you would expect, once they've got enough new material tested, a new book is going to be released. That's the case with the next supplement on our list, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Released on November 17th, 2020, and credited to the entire creative team, the Cauldron is very similar to the Guide, as its 192 pages contain 26 new subclasses, again, fairly evenly distributed among the 12 original classes. It also adds a newish class to the list, the Artificer. Now, I say newish because it had been a part of the Eberron supplement that had been previously released, but since that book wasn't the best-selling or most popular of the releases, it was given a second life by being included here. New spells, magic items, and DM goodies are also found on the pages of the Cauldron, and much like I said with the guide, even if you never use any of it, it's still well worth the buy. One other addition to the game that I wanted to make sure got a moment of its own was a new set of rules for alternate character creation. What it allowed for was the removal of racial bonuses to specific attributes and allowing for those bonuses to be applied to the attribute of your choice. That was the big change, though there were several smaller, more subtle adjustments made. Jeremy Crawford did the media rounds for this release and explained the alternate creation idea. Quote, it better reflects the story you have in mind for the character. End quote. He added, quote, we give people the option in Tasha's Cauldron to take whatever those bonuses are and put them in any ability score you want. End quote. The overarching reason for the change is that the creative team believed that there wasn't a game balance reason for the racial bonuses to ability scores. Crawford himself pointed to that during many of his interviews. In fact, he noted on more than one occasion that the only reasons they'd been there previously is to basically continue the racial archetypes for D&D that trace their origins back into the 1970s. In other words, a new idea for a new edition in a new millennium. Liam Nolan handled the review for CBR and said, quote, One of the biggest controversies surrounding Dungeons & Dragons has been the game's prescriptivist approach to race and the way it embraces problematic stereotypes. However, customizing one's origins isn't just a matter of moving around ability scores. Players can also customize their languages and proficiencies. While customized origins do not undo any of the damage that's been done, they do provide a path forward for making Dungeons & Dragons more accessible and less problematic, end quote. All right, let me hit one more supplement, and I have to admit something up front. It actually replaces two supplements that have been published well before it. Just stay with me on this. Morden Kanan Presents Monsters of the Multiverse was released on May 16th, 2022. 
Jeremy Crawford gets the lead designer credit, but authorship belongs to pretty much the entire Wizards development team, and that's due at least in part to materials from Volo's Guide to Monsters from 2016 and Morden Canyon's Tome of Foes from 2018. So why did they do this? Well, according to Jeremy Crawford, the stated reason for doing this was to better balance the monsters, races, and NPC classes that had been previously published. In fact, no major changes were made to the monsters. What was changed was that their stat blocks were adjusted to better reflect their challenge ratings, which were left untouched. Alignments and some setting-specific lore was removed as well, and again, this was done in order to make it easier for DMs to create their own narrative without having to figure out how to explain how a monster from Spelljammer wound up in the Forgotten Realms. That's pretty much that. I do need to point out that while the physical release of the book was in May of 2022, it showed up as a part of a special box set in January of that year. It was part of a special three-pack that also included Xanathar's Guide to Everything and Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. That set got some special packaging with new artwork, and I believe you can still pick one of those up, though I'm pretty sure you're going to have to go online to get it. It was also announced that when the digital version of the book hit D&D Beyond, Volo's Guide to Monsters and Morden Kanan's Tome of Foes were going to be delisted. And I can confirm that that has happened, though if you already owned them, you can still use them as part of the program. Now, I'm not going to quote any specific reviews here, but I will note that the majority of the reviews I've read called this release straightforward, nothing world-shattering, and even aimed at the D&D newcomer more than the established gamer with an extensive library. So, do with that what you will. So, I've covered the core books and three of the supplements, but I'm not quite done just yet. See, Wizards of the Coast did something with 5th edition that they hadn't done with 4th edition or even 3rd edition, and I think it's better to explain in full than to summarize here. First things first, there were two more starter sets released for D&D. The Essentials Kit was released on September 3rd, 2019, and it included a 64-page rulebook, a brand new adventure, Dragon of Ice Spire Peak, dice, character sheets, and 81 cards that laid out various game mechanics. The rulebook also provided some new rules for creating characters, and most of those came from the Unearthed Arcana tests. It also came with a code for D&D Beyond that would unlock a bundle with the adventures and materials for Dragon of Ice Spire Peak, Sleeping Dragon's Wake, and Divine Contention, which would allow for players to go from level 1 all the way to 13 without necessarily needing to purchase the core rules. Cameron Kunzelman did a review for Paste and said simply, quote, if you're getting your feet wet with D&D in 2019, then this is where you'd want to do it, end quote. The other starter set, Dragons of Stormwreck Isle, was released on July 31st, 2022. It includes the rulebook we've discussed, along with pre-generated characters, dice, and the Dragons of Stormwreck Isle adventure. This set, much like the original set we touched on earlier in the show, was designed to whet the appetite of the D&D player and drive sales of the core rulebooks. Wizards of the Coast also took advantage of a couple of shows in popular culture and created special box sets for them. The Stranger Things Dungeons & Dragons role-playing game starter set was released on May 1st, 2019. Taking advantage of the increased popularity of D&D thanks to the overwhelming popularity of the Netflix series Stranger Things, this set included an adventure with a Stranger Things vibe called Hunt for the Thessal Hydra and also had two minis for the Demigorgon 
one painted, and one not. Numerous fans of old school D&D noted the resemblance of this box to the old red box from the 1980s, and many purchased it for that reason, whether or not they ever intended to use it. Dungeons and Dragons vs. Rick and Morty was released on November 19th, 2019. It had a Rick and Morty flavored adventure, The Lost Dungeon of Rickedness, Big Rick Energy, along with a specially designed DM screen and five pre-generated characters based on the show. While some reviewers for both specialty sets accused Wizards of the Coast of pandering to the whims of pop culture, a large majority noted that the sets were intended to be fun as well as vehicles to entice new gamers to the table, which, quite frankly, is never a bad idea if you can both do it and pull it off. Everything I've covered to this point in the show is still available for purchase new, though you might have to look a bit for that Stranger Things and Rick and Morty box sets I was talking about. Check your local game or bookshop first, and I'd note I've seen the Stranger Things box set in department stores like Walmart and Target, so you've got options. Now, normally this is where I'd end the tour and start wrapping things up, but I'd be remiss if I didn't stick my toes in the water of one D&D. If you're a fan of D&D, you've already heard about this, but for those who are casual gamers, let me break it down the best I can. In September of 2021, Wizards of the Coast announced that Unearthed Arcana would start running playtest materials for what they called a backwards compatible evolution of 5th edition D&D, which if that isn't a contradiction in terms, I don't know what is. They also announced it would be coming out in 2024 to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the game. They have given a bit of an idea of where some things might be headed, as Morden Kanan Presents Monsters of the Multiverse contains some of the materials that had already been playtested to that point. But it's understood that even some of the stuff in that release might be slightly obsolete by 1D&D's eventual drop. Throughout the playtesting, which is still going on at this time, Wizards of the Coast has gone to great lengths to state that 1D&D is not intended to be a new edition or half edition or whatever, but that it's intended to work with the books you've already got. That being said, a new trio of core books are on the release schedule for 2024, so we're going to see just how true those comments are. The creative team has also pushed back on the comments that 1D&D is basically just glorified errata, since if it's not a new edition, what the hell else can it possibly be? Jeremy Crawford himself got into that one, noting that there will be a decent amount of new content, and said in an interview with ComicBook.com last month, quote, I think what people are going to experience when they get into the new core rulebooks is that it's definitely the game we've all been playing, but enhancements everywhere, end quote. Look, I'm just going to say what we're all thinking. It's a new edition. They're going to have to prove me wrong on that one. So before I get a cease and desist, let's bring today's tour to a close. Next week, I'm going to dive back into modules for D&D. And yeah, I mean old school D&D. I've got a stack of them I'm researching, so check out next week's episode to see just which ones made the cut. In the meantime, check out our other show, Bad GM's Campaign Build Along. This week, our band of Fallout survivors are working to help the Brotherhood of Steel find the people responsible for shooting their transport out of the sky. And while the search has been rather futile to this point, things are about to get interesting. Bad GM's Campaign Build Along is available wherever you get your podcasts or on our website, badgmproductions.net. I also wanted to remind you, you've still got time to make your plans to join us at Archon 46 in Collinsville, Illinois, September 29th through October 1st. 
The Bad GM team will be set up in the game room so you can drop in and see us, then sit in on a role-playing game, a board game, a miniatures game. Hell, they're all going to be there, and they're all going to be played. Check out the Archon website for more information. That's A-R-C-H-O-N-S-T-L dot org. The music we use for this show comes from Pixabay.com. Check them out for all your license-free, royalty-free music needs. Role-Playing History is a production of Bad GM Productions. We are all over social media, so check out the info box for this episode or check out our website, badgmproductions.net. Next week, we dive back into D&D modules and check out some more classics and oddities you may have forgotten about. Then again, I'm 50 years old. I can't remember what the hell I had for breakfast this morning. (laughs) That's next week. Until then, I'm Wayne Davis and your role-playing history.